0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Let's just take a moment quietly where we are, maybe just to bow our heads, just to close our eyes, if you feel led to do that, and just in the moment of that incredible truth being sung over us. Oh God, I pray that we would know The faithfulness and truth of our God will never change. And the people that are here right now, Lord, that are in a place of hurt, grief, sorrow, fear, trial, pain. That they would hear again from their God. I am with you, child, and I love you. He loves you, loved ones. He is perfectly loving you even now. That you will never, ever forget and not succumb to the lies of the enemy, but understand that because of the truth of your God's in control, because of his promise to keep you forever, because that he will never abandon you or leave you, then we can say, and listen to this, regardless of how we feel, and that's important, regardless of how we feel, we can say, it is well. It is well, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the promise and the truth. We pray this now, that you will minister in our time, in Jesus' name, amen, amen before we get into god 's word today, I want to um, run by you uh, just a couple of quick information points so the first one is this um, there's a co- uh, conference in the gospel coalition that is putting together in October Gospel coalition is very big in the u s it's getting bigger here in Canada the gathering of churches united on the things that matter most in god 's word um, fundamentally surrounding the gospel myself some pastors in this church we are part of this leadership team here on Ontario very excited for this and um, there's a conference they're holding on October 16th and 17th. And um, Don Carson, world renowned scholar, will be there. John Newfield, Back to the Bible. I get to speak at this as well. It's a real honor to be able to do that. And it's for pastors and leaders, but it's kind of for anyone as well, just to make you aware. And really, the church is coming together and saying, God, you've got to work in this nation. And we're asking, you've got to revive us, Lord. And so that's the whole point of this. It'll be a great in depth study of that as well. And so just to, again, make you aware of this. Um, Prayer wise, coming up for our church, because we're starting a new ministry year, without prayer, we're dead. Our prayer summit, September 12th, 9.30 to noon, signing up online for this, that you will be coming two and a half hours, it will fly by, Pastor George Sherman will be leading this as we really seek the Lord. Here we go, here we go, Lord, we need help, we need help. Uh, some of you right now, as you hear about a mini prayer summit, um, you are being um, led to be part of this, and we want to encourage you in that, and, but you have to step forward, everything's faith. So much of life is showing up. And so even right now, some of you are like, yeah, that's something I think I would want to be interested in. But then we go home and forget or we choose. that ah, I'm not sure what's going to happen exactly. But it's a place to come and just to be blessed. And by faith, I will show up and sign up for this. To see God use you in your prayers for this coming ministry year. And speaking of that, uh, Wednesday, September 16th, All Churches Night of Prayer. This is our third time we have done this. So this is being held here at our church. This is Harvest Brampton. This is Harvest Niagara. This is Harvest Toronto West. Of course, Harvest Oakville. This is Harvest Brantford. Uh, Harvest Kelowna usually shows up in some form or another. Harvest Waterloo Region and probably Harvest London as well. All coming together to worship and pray and praise our God as we seek him and unity in the gospel for what he can do in our region and this land. And you do not want to miss this. It has been such a party in the best sense of that word for the Lord. We've gathered together such energy. I love services where everyone who's coming is totally there because they want to be there. All right? Not to say that everyone here right now doesn't necessarily want to be here, but you know what I'm saying? When everyone comes in and there's a fire in their heart for the Lord, it's just, it's awesome. God uses that, and we need that to spur each other on. So all the other churches are promoting it like crazy. I know that. So if we don't get on our stuff, we're going to be like left without a seat, all right? All right? Our own church, nowhere to sit. Imagine that, all right? But I'm hoping that's the case. So... Make plans, make plans to be here. It's going to be excellent. God uses that each time that we do this, Wednesday, September 16th. All right, let's get our Bibles open then to Psalm 31, and we're completing our series today called In God We Trust, and as you're turning to Psalm 31, I want to show you a necklace I got this week. I'm pretty excited. It always gets everyone's attention, all right, and um, I'm really excited about this necklace here. Take a look. It's, It's really sweet, all right? Look at that. Look at that. All right, looking at this, and um, I know you want one. Amen. I know you want one. And because I want this truth as close to my heart as possible, right? So there it is, because this is such a foundational truth. I'm, these actually, because they're so sweet, they'll be available for sale at the bookstore after the service. Um, that is a joke, all right? They will not be available after the service, but if you're really clever, you can find a way to get something that I got to. And so I was going to preach with it, but that would be way too distracting, and you'd be all too jealous, all right? So anyways, that goes here, but that's just another way to remind us, we want to get this here, man, because when it's here, and it's here, and we start living different lives as well psalm 31 i remind you was summed up as a deep personal trust in god but not just there within the depths of difficulty psalm 31 a deep personal trust in god within the depths of difficulty written by david inspired by the holy spirit it's a declaration of absolute dependence upon our god that's what psalm 31 is but I want to end this psalm today by asking this basic and fundamental question just to make sure we have it right on the table. And the question fundamentally is this, why should I trust in God? What are the reasons I should trust in God? We've answered this in different ways throughout this series. But again, I want to, I want to get on the table today because I want it to be the only meal that we're looking at and I want to spiritually digest this for the glory of God. I want us to see and have no questions. Why should I trust in God? And the reason this question is so important, because it's amazing to me how many Christians and even genuine believers who fundamentally have trouble trusting God. It's amazing to me how many believers struggle when it comes to the day-to-day aspects of their lives of truly handing things over to God. I hear questions like, all the time like this. Can I, can I really trust God with my finances? Really, though? Like, can, can I, really? I think one of the fundamental problems is my finances is theologically incorrect. Uh, can I trust God, the finances that He has entrusted to me, again, to be a steward of? So what happens is we say something, but then we live in a different way. And we prove to God that we don't trust Him ultimately because we, we take control and we grab on and we don't release. Other questions, can I really trust God with my job? In this unstable economy and the uncertain future? Is God really good? Will He really be there for me when I need it most? What happens when I lose my job? And then what's gonna, Can I really trust God? These are fundamental questions. Can I really trust God with my future, the unknowns, the things that might happen or, 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 or may not happen? Can I trust God with my safety? Is he really there for me in that way? Can I trust God that... See, one of the, one of the fundamental problems we're going to see within this text here and within this message is the way we deem God being faithful is not necessarily the way God defines his faithfulness. The faithfulness of God doesn't mean we never go through any hardship, doesn't mean we never go through any pain. Doesn't ever never mean we never go through any loss. It doesn't mean God's not faithful. But we say, Well, I won't trust God because His plan may not work out the way I want it to go. So then therefore I control my life and I fail to actually put my faith in the one who actually holds the control. Can I really trust God with my kids? Can I really trust Him with my kids? What we find is there's many believers who say something, but then they live differently. What's amazing to me also is that you have many, many believers who trust God with their eternity, but they won't trust God with what's temporary. How does that make any sense? How does it make, I mean, fundamentally by faith, okay, I trust God that heaven's real, and I'm going there, and I've placed my faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, all my sins are washed away, but I'm looking forward to that day, but I'm going to hold everything to myself right now, because this is what I see, and this is what I really care about. It's a fundamental problem of faith. It doesn't add up. And that's what we're going after today. This is what we're trying to dissect and diagnose and to say, well, what is the problem here? I think one of the fundamental reasons believers don't fully trust God is because they don't fully know God. If we really knew him as who he is, as he's going out of his way to show us within this psalm and everywhere else in scripture, if we really knew, of course we'd trust him. He can never leave us. He can never fail us. He can never forsake us. He is perfectly kind and loving and unconditional love that will last forever. He has saved us from all sin. I mean, he is the one to be, but because we don't know him and we don't fully trust him, God becomes a stranger to us at times. And we don't trust strangers. We're taught it all the time. Don't kid, don't trust a stranger. Don't trust a stranger. Don't, don't trust a stranger. And if God becomes a stranger to us, because again, what saddens me, how many believers, no time in the word, no time in prayer, uh, no touches beyond church on a weekly basis, no real community of fellowship, no real active pursuit and and longing after God. Well, Well, no wonder God becomes a stranger because there's no time with him in relationship. And so because we don't know him and we're not in this and actively pursuing, then we can't trust him because we're not aware of the things that he says and who he is. And so he's a stranger and we can keep our distance. And we begin to control way more than we're ever intended to do, which hurts us greatly. But see, the whole point, this is David's journey. The more David draws near to God, the more he sees God, he knows God, the more he then says, into your hand, I commit my spirit Because you are all I have and you are all there is. But all of this, let's hear me, all of this is done by faith. Faith. It's faith to believe. Why should I trust in God? We seek to answer that today. There are probably infinite amount of reasons to trust in God. But we have four on the board today as answers of why we should trust in God. Four answers on the board today. This is, again, not exhaustive, but it's going to be helpful. Here's answer number one in our text today as to why we should trust in God. How about this? All these are howabouts. Why should I trust in God? How about stored up abundant goodness as a reason for trusting in God? Stored up abundant goodness. Some of you are like, what does that mean? Look at verse 19. Verse 19, David says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, and worked for those who take refuge in you, and the sight of the children of Of mankind, now, loved ones. I want you to see this first of all. Okay, the context of our psalm is life is hard. Life is hard for David. Difficult, filled with grief, filled with sorrow, filled with sighing. There's pain in David's life. In verse eighteen. He's describing some of that pain. All the verses so far in this psalm are describing in one way or another the sorrow and the grief that David is going through. But help me answer this then. How is there sorrow and pain in verse 18? And then it immediately flips to joy and delight in verse 19. What's up with that? How do you have the anguish of the opposition in one verse and the very next verse, all of a sudden, you have delight and joy? Listen to this. I love this. Only in Christ... Only by faith in God. And isn't it so true? Do we see sorrow give birth to joy? Do we see grief give birth to gladness? See, what we're learning here, the life of faith in God is truly the miraculous life. Only God, in the midst of our deepest pains and greatest sorrows and most tremendous grief, can God use that to bring beauty from ashes. Only God can take the hardest moments of our lives when we have nothing and feel like nothing and are completely desperate, and then He starts to grow the small flower that blooms into this incredibly beautiful act of creation within our lives. Only when we're in the depths of despair and by faith in God can he use that to break us and bring from that a sense of supernatural and miraculous joy and life that's rooted in him. That's only done by faith. The world looks at that and says, that makes no sense. I have no idea how that's possible that you could be in such despair and such hurt and yet be so filled with a joy and a faith and a love and a life Only by faith. But this is what God does. He does take ashes and turn it into beauty. He does take despair and turn it into joy. He does do the miraculous that causes our hearts to sing. But it only happens by faith. By faith. It's incredibly beautiful and powerful. The hardest situations of life can become reasons to rejoice. Acts chapter 5. The disciples leaving the temple area. And there they were, and they were charged, don't preach the gospel, well, not just charged, they were beaten, beaten, they were preaching the gospel, but they left rejoicing, they were rejoicing as they left, as they were counted worthy to suffer the dishonor of the gospel. So I just imagine there's Peter and the boys, and they're leaving, like, Woo, yeah. and some guy says, dude, what are you so happy about, man? He's like, we got, we got beat up for Jesus. Like what? You got beat up for Jesus. Why are you happy? About it? it doesn't make any sense. How can you be happy? You just got beat up, man. You got beaten for your faith. And you're happy, but that's what God does. Only God, people burning at the stake and, and rejoicing in their what, what? 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 How? Faith. 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 It's what the Lord does. I am I am so grieving. I am so hurting. And yet, in that, God comes and supernaturally gives me a sense of joy and love. It's, it's incredible. Would you see what the miracle of faith does within our lives? And I haven't really got to the first official word of our text yet, but look at, look at verse 19 now. Oh, I love that. Underline that one. Oh, how abundant is your goodness. Oh, you want to say that with me? It's really fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it's like it's not a boring oh. It's like there's an exclamation mark at the end of that sentence. David is catching a glimpse of the glory and the goodness of God. There's so much he can't measure it. Spurgeon says, "When we cannot measure, we marvel." When we're unable to, to, to ascertain what we're looking at, and it's so great, we try to measure. We can't, and all we can do then is marvel. I remember standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon, my wife beside me, and just could not measure the glory that I saw in God in front of me, and all I could do was go, "Oh, oh, woo!" You know. Oh, I remember being up north in a still summer night and not a cloud in the sky and no lights from the city and just looking up and see the vastness of the stars and the, and the, and the heavens declare the glory of God and you just catch a glimpse of how small you are and how awesome he is and all you can, you, you can't measure it. You just, you just marvel. You, you say, oh. oh. Oh, God, I remember the first day I was saved and catching a glimpse of God's glory in salvation. I was such a sinner. I was such a sinner, and he saved me, and he washed me clean, and he let me live, and just seeing I don't deserve any of this, and you see his goodness and his grace, and what can you say? You can't measure it. You can't measure the gospel, but you can marvel at it, and you stand there broken, weeping, and just saying, oh, oh, this is what David's doing. In the midst of his pain, there he is. Oh, how abundant is your goodness. Oh, how incredible is the glory of God that He is beholding. I can see it in some ways, I can I can touch it in others, but ultimately I, I cannot fully measure it. That's why he says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, to notice which you have stored up, stored up for those who fear you. So, in some ways, for us, again, we we see the, the heap of the abundance of God's goodness in the gospel. And when we see the, 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 the heap of his goodness, it becomes inexpressible joy to us, 1 Peter 1. It becomes an eternal delight. It becomes something that we look at and we love so much. We, we are overwhelmed at the glory that is found within. That's, that's why in our service we, we cheer the gospel because it never, ever gets old. Even now as I'm preaching that some of you are getting it. And you understand. You're like, yes! That's where my life had. Even as I preach it to myself right now, it's working for the third service. It still has such impact because it's so real and never runs dry. It's who God is. It's what he does. Oh, the abundance. But I want you to see this. There's a part we can see and a part we can touch and a part we can feel, but there's a, there's a part that we have no idea of how awesome and glorious this will be. When David says, and you have stored up for those who fear you. I can't get over the fact that I belong to Jesus Christ and that there's a room waiting for me in heaven. Exactly what that looks like doesn't matter, but there's a, there's a dedicated space and a preparation of my coming at one point. Oh, and if you're saved in Jesus Christ, you're the same way. I can't get over the fact that my name is written somewhere in the Lamb's book of life. What? Really? That's awesome. And I can't believe the moment that I walk into glory that I will come in and deserving death and hell, but there before me will be my Savior, and all of you are the same way. If you are saved in Jesus Christ, and you will walk in. You know we're so we're so focused on these storage places in our society of all this extra stuff that you don't even need and use, and all that kind of stuff. Blah, 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 blah. And then we get into heaven, though. Talk about a storage place waiting for us. Talk about being stored up the blessings of the glory of being a co-heir of Jesus Christ and adopted into His family, redeemed by His blood, and the perfection and the beauty and the amazement, it's stored up. So David says, in one sense, the abundance of your goodness. But there's a whole other category that my mind cannot even begin to comprehend of what God has for me on that capital D day when he returns and I am with him forever. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. These promises are pretty profound. Who else can make such promises in your life? What else can guarantee you such things? Who else can come close To delivering to us stored up in abundant goodness. And the question then becomes, why should I trust God? This is why I should trust God. Who else can I trust? No one. No one. I can trust no one else for these things that I'm seeing right here. He's the one who delivers it. He's the one who is good. He's the one who gives us the grace of life. This is why we trust Him. The abundant and stored up goodness that our God has given to us and that awaits us. Reason number two, why do I trust in God? How about the cover of his presence? How about the cover of his presence? Look at verse 20. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. When I was in Israel a few years back, I went up to the Golan Heights in that area, the border of Lebanon and of Syria, and we were staying at this kibbutz. It's a kind of Jewish community place, and as a tourist, you can come in and stay there for the short term, and there we were in this kibbutz, and kind of a beautiful place, simple place, but nice place, but they had a child daycare there, but the daycare was held within the bomb shelter on the property. We don't see a lot of bomb shelters around here, at least I don't, and this bomb shelter, several feet thick, so massive, and reinforced concrete, of course, a very plain structure, obviously, but a very well-built structure, and This was the known place for shelter and security. That makes sense to me. I understand humans look at physical security and safety. And we think of shelters. We think of bunkers. We think of bomb shelters. But I I want you to see God's definition of shelter in the text. I want you to see what he considers to be a true cover and true safety. Notice David says, verse 20, In the cover of your presence you hide them. Think, reflect, in the cover of your presence you hide them. Do we understand the theology of the presence of God as our cover and how much this leads to our security and safety? Think about it. The cover of your presence. So within conversion to Jesus Christ, one of the aspects of our salvation is called regeneration. Regeneration. Regeneration is the secret act of God whereby the Holy Spirit comes and imparts to us new life. The Holy Spirit comes and makes us become born again. That is a term from John 3. It is speaking of regeneration. The Holy Spirit, we're a new creation. We will never die. We become temples of the Holy Spirit. This is where God indwells within us, never to leave us. This is, again, where the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us and becomes our seal as our guarantee, the guarantee of our future glory. Regeneration. Within our salvation, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, this is when we have the cover of the presence of our God. There is nothing like, there's nothing that equates when God's Spirit is within us. Okay, That's the covering of our eternal security in Him. We are safe. We are His. He will never let us go. I love the way one commentator said it. We then are plucked up from where we were. We are placed into the holy of holies now of God, never to leave. And death cannot enter, and Satan would not dare. Because it's the holy presence of the Lord. And that's true for every person who's been genuinely saved in Jesus Christ. This is our cover. So, so, we can choose to hide in things like bomb shelters... We can choose to try to find cover in things like our RSPs. We can choose to try to find a quieter, safer neighborhood to live in where there's a lower crime rate and we feel more safe in who we are in that situation. We can choose to try to operate in areas of safety and bubble wrap our kids up to the point where they're suffocating and trying to resist any form of danger in our lives. But let me just say this to you right now. There is no cover like the presence of God cover. There is nothing more important. It's amazing how much time and energy we spend on trying to protect ourselves from things on earth when we neglect the things of the next life in all of eternity. The greatest cover you and I ever need is found in the Holy Spirit living within us where at that point we will never ever die. We are God's forever. In the cover of your presence, O God, You hide them. And when we are in this cover, this is when the peace of Christ that surpasses understanding is found. This is when we know if God is for me, who can be against me. This is when we know that my life is hidden with Christ and God. This is when I know the hope of glory, Colossians 1, that I live for and that awaits me. It's in the cover of his presence. That's why we say, God, we need your presence. Fill us with your presence now that we might be aware of the presence that is literally upon us now. Getting so distracted and so blinded by the things that don't matter. Why should I trust in God? This is why. Who else can make these promises? Who else covers us in this way? No one. So of course we trust in him. We have to trust in him. There's no other option but to trust in him reason number three why do i trust in god how about this how about how about love when i need it most how about love when i need it most amen verse 21 blessed be the lord who is wondrously shown now that phrase wondrously shown in the original hebrew it carries the meaning like david's like man this, this, this 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 love was unexpected this love was astonishing it's almost like when he says, wondrously shown, this love was almost impossible to believe. But this is the love of God. When I, when I wasn't expecting it, when I couldn't believe it, here's this love. Notice the faithful love of God. It's the Hebrew word said. This is not an ambivalent love. It's a covenant love. It's a decided love. It's an active love. It's a love binding for eternity. Listen, this is the love that David was tempted to doubt. But he sees it again. He is so blown away, so blown away by the love of God filling him. But, but don't miss what happened here in verse 22. This is, we're going to relate to this. Look at verse 22. He says, I said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried out to you for help. Now, isn't this fascinating? Notice this. David in the midst of his trial and pain, okay? So the grief sets in, the, 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 the enemy sets in, and he, and, and he panics. He says, in my alarm, in my alarm, I said I'm cut off from your sight. So essentially, in David's trial, his eyes get off God, they get onto a situation. He says, God, you've forgotten me. God, you've left me. God, you have abandoned me. Under the stress of his sorrow and his sighing, he loses sight of what's true and he focuses on what is not true. Ever happened to you? Ever happened to you in the midst of trial and pain and sorrow and you start to question, God, are you really there? The pain so much, the sorrow so real. Have you forgotten me, God? Have you left me? Have you cut me off, God? You know what I love about this? I love that this is right here in verse, I love it, it's so encouraging. Verse 22, here's David, a man after God's own heart, but here he is, a man that, had real struggles, temptations, and doubts. And he too questioned, God, have you cut me off? Have you left me? Have you abandoned me? But what David finds out, he says, but in the end, you wondrously have shown me the love, the love that I needed so much. When I needed it most, it found me. And this speaks of this a said love that will find us, meet us, and overwhelm us. Remember, David says he was in a besieged city, verse 21, Probably an a historical real event where the enemies were closing in on him. He was like, oh man, I'm dead. There's no way out of this. And in some form, in some way, the love of God meets him. The grace of God finds him and listen, and it blows him away. One of the greatest things that we do to our own detriment is we write the conclusion when God is still in the introduction, So we think the story's done. We look at our situation and we're like, oh man, this is hopeless. Forget it. I give up. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm filled with so much grief. God has left me. And if we just give up in that moment, we fail to see if we keep walking and turn the corner. If we turn the page one more time, if we can only see what's awaiting in the grace and the unfailing love of God, it will meet us. He's there the whole time. But it's amazing people, because they lose control of their situation, and it's not going the way they wanted it to go. It's a fundamental problem we have to keep addressing. Our version of God's faithfulness is not always God's version of God's faithfulness. But we say, God, because you're not operating on my terms and my version of your faithfulness, therefore you're not faithful. That's absolutely terrible theology, unbiblical, and nowhere near correct. Faithfulness of God is deemed as God says he is faithful, which doesn't mean life doesn't include hardship, trials, suffering, pain, sorrow. All of that is guaranteed in the Bible by following Jesus Christ. But God promises, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will carry you to the end. I will guarantee your path to glory, and you will find out just how perfectly loving I am on my terms, which will be for your best possible good. The only way we believe that is by faith. It's the only way. You see? And God meets us, and I love this so much. God meets us when we need it most. He loves us when we need it most. Only God can love us when we need it most. Who else is going to do that for you? Your boyfriend? Give me a break. Parents, imperfect, man. Depending on your kids for that, it's not going to happen. Some friend somewhere at work, it's not going to happen. They're busy, they're finite, they're sinful. Not God, man. God's available for everyone at any time. God is omnipresent, God is awesome, all right? And he's the one. And some of us are here right now, we're hurting. And we're tempted to give up. Don't, don't. I hear you, man. I hear you. Trust me, I hear you. I'm tempted too sometimes. But I find you keep walking one step by faith at a time and next thing you turn that corner and the love of God smacks you in the face in such a beautiful way. And he fills you and envelops you. And you are humbled and you are broken. And you find yourself on the mat weeping, weeping before the throne of grace. Because you understand just how good and awesome your God is. And he sits there and he so tenderly loves you. And he picks you up and he says, my child, I got you. I got you and I'm the one who's going to carry you. That's why we trust in him. There's no one else who can do that. There's no one else who can provide for us love when we need it most. One more reason you want to clap? Let's clap. Want to clap for that? Amen. 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 Never afraid of clapping for the glory of God in church. Here's the last reason we trust in God from our text here today. And there's a million reasons, but here's the last reason in our text. How about this? Why should I trust in God? How about perfect preservation? Perfect preservation. There's a reason to trust in the Lord. Some of you don't understand. Let me help you understand. Essentially, it's this. What God has started, He will complete. God has started something in you. He will carry it on to completion. Look at verse 23. The hub of these two verses, 23 and 24, is this phrase. The Lord preserves the faithful. Look at Love the Lord, all you His saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong, let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Now, hear this again. The Lord preserves the faithful. What is the one ingredient that the Lord is looking for in the preservation of his children? The answer is faith, faithfulness, okay? He preserves the faithful, but hear me here, hear me here. Who is faithful? Faithful is trustworthy, faithful is true. How are we trustworthy and true towards God? This is what you have to understand. Our faithfulness to God completely is found in our trust in him, When we put our whole lives in him, we trust in him, that's when he finds us faithful, okay? Let me make sure this is clear too. Faithfulness before God is not me trying to produce my works of faith or my works of righteousness before God and then God saying, good boy, good girl. Oh, way to go. Now you obeyed. Now I like you before I didn't, but now I do. Now you've done the things I want you to do. Now we're on the same page. Now I can bless you. No, 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 no. That's anti-biblical. That's not the gospel. The whole point of our effort for God is rooted that everything has been done for us. You see, I place all my faith in Christ. I place all my life in God. I place all my trust in the power of God's Holy Spirit. I give all this to Him. I say, God, I can't do it. I need You. I need You. At that point, I am faithful to trust in my God. And He looks at me now as faithful before Him. And these are the men and women that He starts to work in. These are the men and women. Into Your hands I commit my entire being, my spirit. These are the faithful... That rely on him that carry, he carries all the way through this life and guaranteed to glory. You understand what it means that God preserves the faithful? It's, it's, it's awesome theology. Let me, let me run by you a few verses here speaking of the preservation of God for his children. Here's one from, from John chapter 6. Jesus said this. These are going to be encouraging for you, I pray, right now, right? This is just the word of God renewing our minds. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives will come. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Okay? That's a pretty sweet promise. I will never. Anyone who comes to the Lord by faith, receiving his grace, not based on their works, based on his work, he will never cast out. He preserves the faithful. Here's another verse from John 6. Jesus says, And this is the will of him who sent me, the Father, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. How much is Christ going to lose? Nothing. But raise it up on the last day. Guaranteed. Every single person genuinely pursuing the Lord, they will not be lost. Every sheep that comes under the care of the good shepherd, they will not be lost. They will be kept and they will be carried and they will be raised up on the last day. Here's another verse from the Gospel of John. Jesus says, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him." And he says, "And I will raise him up on the last and I will raise him up on the last day." You're in, listen, you're in. You're saved, you're saved. This is what's happening. Here's a promise from John chapter 10 right here. Jesus says, "My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish." By the way, I mean, people who don't believe in eternal security, I just I don't know what they do with these verses. I don't understand. Is Jesus confused? Is he having a, a, an off day and said stuff that weren't right? I mean, is it just, is, is this not clear? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, the Bible tells us that there are people who profess to know God, but in the cares and tribulations of the world, they fall apart, they fall aside, proving they were never genuine seeds to begin with of true righteousness in Christ. What Jesus is saying, he was truly faithful by believing in him, it will never perish. And no one will will snatch them out of my hand. Awesome. Notice this verse from 2 Corinthians 1. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. And it is God who establishes and has anointed us in his Holy Spirit. And who has put His seal in us by his Holy Spirit and has given us his Holy Spirit. In our hearts is a guarantee, a guarantee. When God makes a promise and a guarantee, think he's keeping it? Ah, yes. Ah, yes. Yes. How much more evidence do we need? It's tremendous. Romans 8, you know this verse, should know this verse pretty well. Paul says, for I am sure, he he is mega sure, that neither death nor life nor angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our, awesome. it's just awesome. Listen, the, the Lord preserves the faithful. Philippians one, our final verse, he says this. He says, and I am sure of this. Paul's really sure of things that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Listen, listen, at the day, at the day. See, th- this is the key. Okay, this is what faith understands. That's that's day, the day when Jesus Christ returns. So, so my faith is not saying that if I trust in God, all my problems go away now. That's not faith. Faith is not saying, okay, God, if I, if I trust in you, then my family works out perfectly and all my kids are behave all the time and I get the job I want and I get the, the money I want and I get the place. That, that, that's not faith. That's not faith in the word. That's faith in our own version of life. Faith says in the midst of the sorrow, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the difficulty, ultimately I'm living for this. Because when Jesus Christ returns, man, listen, listen, that is when every promise ever is perfectly fulfilled in Him, and all sin is gone, and perfection comes upon us, and there's no pain, and no sorrow, and no more grief, and no more death, and all glory all the time, Jesus Christ living there. I mean, that is ultimately what we're living for. Now, when you have that kind of day of Jesus Christ faith, then you're willing to endure the persecution and you're willing to count the cost and you're willing to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ because at the end of the day, this doesn't matter. What matters is what is coming, but this is impossible to live apart from faith. It's impossible to live and to please God, Hebrews eleven six. apart from faith. And that's why we need His grace, to live by faith and to see and to believe And then to live. last thing I want to end with in this text, I want you to notice the fruit that comes from faith. There are four fruits in verses 23 and 24 that come from faith. On the screen here, watch this. So notice what bursts forth from faith. First, love bursts forth from faith. Verse 23, love the Lord, all you his saints. Love the Lord, the Lord preserves the faithful. When we trust in God, love naturally comes forward. Because when we go through this today and you're like, wow, I trust in God because he's stored up abundant goodness. He loves me when I need it so much. He's covered me with his presence. And you see all this, you're like, of course I love him. What do I mean? It's just, just sit around and get bored at the gospel and, and just yawn away at the reality of these unconditional love. No, 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 no. When we see the love, we burst forth. But faith breathes love. Faith is what causes us to see love in our lives. Look at what else bursts forth from faith it's this, it's strength strength is bursting forth from faith. Verse 24, be strong, David says. Be strong, let your heart take courage. Strength, when I see my God, I am strengthened in his presence. I have no strength. I have strength in him and the realities of who I am in him. And notice this, love bursts forth strength and courage then comes from that. David says in verse 24, be strong and let your heart take courage. So, when I look at the Lord, I find, I find courage. When I believe in my God, I find courage. Now, when I look at myself, I stare in the mirror, honestly, it's pretty discouraging. It is. I stare in the mirror too long, man, I just see a sinful men with no hope in the world. I see a whole bunch of aging, painful realities that are rooted in my sin. It's pretty discouraging to stare at the mirror too long in this one, okay? But when I look at Christ, then I see a whole different picture. I'm not discouraged, ever. I see His glory. I see His love. I see His power. I see His righteousness that was given to me that I might live forever. I see forgiveness. I see grace. I see mercy. I see hope. I see I see joy. I see life. And in that, I find courage. But that only happens by faith. I don't have faith. I do look in the mirror. And life stinks. But when I look at Christ. Love, strength, courage. And see what happens in the text here too. Notice this. Faith bursts forth from faith. I love this truth. Faith, write this down. Faith begets faith. Faith begets faith. Faith leads to more faith. Faith produces faith. When I see God, and if I love, strength, and courage, I realize, wow, it's my faith in him that has given me this. I want more. What's that? Faith. And he says, wait, all you who wait for the Lord. Verse 24 at the very end. Waiting is faith and patience. Why do I trust in God? This is why I trust in God. I trust in God because there's abundance of stored up goodness. The cover of his presence. Love when I need it most. He perfectly preserves me. No one else can make such promises. So I don't know about you, loved ones, but when I hear all this, man, I'm, I'm going with God. I'm following God. Trust in him and God will be trust. So this becomes really, this becomes really a a flag, flag in the ground type of moment. All right, a flag in the ground type of moment. I've never done this before in church and probably won't again, but look at this. Woo, yeah, woo. You see that? It's awesome. That's awesome. That's ridiculous, but it's so necessary. Amen. 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 Because, because if we don't have this, we have nothing. If we don't have Him, we have we have nothing. Again, I remember I started this series when Jesus was looking at His disciples and He had hard teachings, and He's like, "They're all walking away. Are you going to go away too?" And Peter and Lord, where else will we go? For You hold the words of eternal life. You're the Holy One of God. And the same way we say today, Lord, who else am I going to trust? Who else can I trust? Where else are we going to go? You have it all. You are everything. You are the one who hold the words of eternal life. And so therefore, O God, in Christ, Holy Spirit, in you we trust. Amen, church? Let's pray. Let's pray. True prayers right now, Lord. True prayers right now. Real prayers right now. A resolve in this church to follow you. A resolve right now, I pray. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, given by the grace of God. A resolve to follow you. Oh God, help us. I pray that the worry and the trial and the, and the grief and the pain and the fear, I pray all of that right now is placed and put on the table and that you will absorb, that you will take. And instead, Lord, we'd find hope and faith and joy and love and courage and strength. Yes, Lord, I pray. Especially for those, Lord, in a hurting place right now, those, Lord, who are hanging on for what seems to be dear life. God, I pray you would meet them. Even now, even now, Lord, in this moment, in this song, in this prayer time, I pray you would meet them and your grace would rush upon them and once again, Lord, they would find you to be so true to your promises and your character. It's your timing, Lord, it's not ours, but I just pray that, not because we deserve it, because you are so kind and you're so loving, that you will meet us again, Because we can't do this without you, so we choose to say, in God we trust. In God we trust. We follow you, Lord. We follow you. Amen.